Greg's real good at that. It's actually nice to be back in this uh, in this virtual room. Been a while. Yeah, it's been a while for sure. I worked on my patience. It was one of my worst <laughs> traits from birth. So I have been patient, but I have have not been patient enough not to tell you a few times. That, no, I know, I know. I'd really like to do it. I really like to do it. But. Took some time, but we're back. Uh, no pressure, man. No, 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 no. I'm just looking forward to this. I'm just looking forward. We've been. I've been wondering where the hell the new episodes have been. People have been asking as well. Yeah, yeah. we've been trying to get started on this series for uh for quite some time so this is the first one right yes the first one yeah count to four my my standard counting mm-hmm. and then we clap if okay. it's not tight never mind okay one two three four good enough for rock and roll cool or speed metal <laughs> so far, so far, so far. So far, so far, so far, We are back. Welcome to a uh, new edition of So Far, So Pod, So What, the transatlantic state-of-the-art speed metal podcast. And this is Greg. Still got it. <laughs> Season two. This is Jonathan. Yes, good yes, and it's good to be back, and uh, we're kind of getting started on, I don't know if you would call this seasons. It's a stupid idea I got, like, there's no seasons in this type of show, right. really, but it felt like the end of a season, peace yes. old, that was yes. a nice, neat end, and then we did some No Man's Land episodes, Yeah, and, and frankly, there are No Man's Land episodes all right. through season one as well, yes. like, you know, and it will be the same in season two. Absolutely. We're flying free, we're flying free. That's right. So um, this is going to be dubbed our artist series, which is where we're going to have uh, people in bands, some that we know, some that we don't, um, onto the show, and we're going to have them pick a uh, a Megadeth song um, to their liking, and we're going to uh, we're going to talk about it. We're going to break it down. We're going to dissect it. And we're going to uh, analyze it. And also, we uh, we're. We're gentlemen, if nothing else. So, of course, we're going to go help uh, help pimp their uh, respective projects that they're uh, currently uh, promoting at this uh, at this time. So, with that being said, we'd like to introduce our first guest in this series. Uh, his name is Matt Backless of the band Disenchant. Um, Disenchant currently has a seven-inch out called "The Embers of Autumn" on Twenty First Century Rocks Records. Um, excellent little uh little blast of i don't know i guess it's just well you'll you're, you'll hear some by the end of uh, the episode today i haven't heard any actually i thought we were gonna talk um, or gonna head in from simplified here well yeah well that's well that's well uh, it, in uh full disclosure uh matt's been a buddy of mine for about 20 years um you know he's been uh in the metal scene for you know, as long as that and definitely longer definitely predates uh, his involvement in metal prior to us uh, meeting each other but you know, we've done some time in bands before as well too messenger body of mine since two months yes uh, two months more actually i think more yes we, we, we haven't we, have, we don't have a huge log but we talked a bit yeah it's been a little while a little oddball here and there and also i would say there's gonna be some familiar faces to me and greg 
but we're like we're kids of the underground right so we don't yes. mind that kind of thing absolutely friends are artists we're artists we're all yeah. artists i guess this is the artist series anyway and uh, welcome matt good to have you here thanks glad to be here man so um i guess uh quick uh quick first things first uh give everyone a lowdown on a disenchant yes including sure me. yeah it's uh it's a project I started a long time ago. Essentially, I started writing these riffs and these songs and, um, you know, whatever other band I was in at the time, project I was in, I, if I came up with a cool riff and it didn't fit that, I kind of put it in like the riff archive. So it's been sitting there for like, you know, just these bits and pieces for 20 years, give or take, and uh, finally decided that I, I'm going to just start doing my own thing for a while and um, I started just piece it all together and write songs out of that and rewrite parts that make sense to rewrite. Um, that's one thing in the past I haven't done a lot of. I normally just let the riffs sit there and they would be my babies and, you know, there's no touching, there's no rearranging, but now I'm doing the exact opposite. I'm going through it all and rearranging when it needs to be rewritten and uh, just working through it. But yeah, just trying to get stuff on tape is the, the big thing now. So that's where that's at. Obviously, I know um, you were basically sole composer. You play bass, guitars, and you know do drums or whatever programming keys. Really, what any of the the music? Basically, you are the band, essentially, and you have Colin Winkleman on vocals. Yep, growls. Then I guess. Yeah, growls. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We featured you two guys and him and Seplophile. Yes, that's right. Not a few seasons back, last season, but in uh, yeah. one of the meatball. One of the meeple miles or meeple kilometers. <laughs> yes. that part and i didn't catch the left hand path reference even though i'm born and bred here in stockholm so. that's right yeah, yeah that, that was that, that was, was that was a total rip off of left hand path yeah. that's what that was definitely <laughs> good rip off though good rip -off. yeah it's like i tried some, some rip-offs are like the best like it could be the best bits you know like uh yeah i know bands that have admitted to ripping off stuff and yeah i can tell i mean don't me. we all don't we all yeah, yeah. well happily right I don't know. It was this Oscar Wilde quote. He's got good quotes. Good artists imitate and great artists steal. There we go. If you're good, you know how to borrow. But if you're great, you know how to steal. If you're great, you know how to steal.
So if you were to give the, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, it's kind of, I guess, uh, hacky and, and typical, but if you had to give someone the elevator pitch, how are you describing Disenchant to someone? Um, death metal meets arena rock. That's fair. That's fair. I would say that's apropos. For death metal to meet arena rock, I'm thinking drums got to be a bit more air in them, right? You can't have like, oh, yeah. all blasts and all, all double kick all the time because that's not going to be arena compatible. To me, arena rock is all about space in the riffs and, and in the drums, really. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> that's always been a bit of a hallmark of my writing style in general. Um, okay, cool. Back, back in the day when Greg and I were in a band, there was a song that we were working on and he had so much trouble playing Greg the one is all, riff. I know that. You know? Yeah, he just wanted to like put all this extra stuff and it's literally just like it was like you know just keep it very simple and i remember like we were laughing about that 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 was a that was a complicated thing because there was so much room in between space yeah yeah it's the it's the hardest song i've ever had to track in my entire life and it's really just like it really is like it very is about it really is about like space it's four chords like Total space. Real estate between notes. It was very, very difficult to be that disciplined. I mean, it's harder to play tight if you don't have a lot of hooking points, right? Sample points for your playing. Yeah. So you yeah. actually have to feel the music more, I think, that way. But I, I would say I'm kind of the same, but I would tend to put like a, a double bass going on there. Whereas Greg, Greg would be the skank beat all the time, like, right? <laughs> as soon yeah. as you can. Like, uh, just a two beat. That's right. And I'm, I'm kind of the things that sound fast, but aren't that fast. I like that style. That's almost arena. That's yeah. a big club compatible. Yeah, I get it. Uh, maybe I should listen. Maybe the listener should listen too to this band. Yeah. Just a minute now, because I'm curious, right? Can I find that stuff on uh, Spotify? Yeah, it's on there. reactions sounds uh, more swedish than american i would say to me this stuff <laughs> and I, I do remember you mentioning that being a sort of a early adopter early adopter of, of, of uh, <laughs> swano stuff etc 
perfect sounding actor. Definitely a little cemetery. Like October Tide and yeah. along those lines, or yeah. even Brave Murdered Day era, Catatonia had a bit of that. And uh, definitely, yeah, the drums, uh, according to prediction, were with some space in there. Yeah. Cool sound. And also, you pulled the kind of double chorus thing, which I like. And I have only pulled it like three times. It has to kind of fall into your lap, I think, because I thought the pre chorus was strong enough for a chorus. And then another chorus and Colin uh, intonating with the growls as well. He's good at that. Very good. I was very impressed first time yeah. I heard him because yeah. it's quite important. I mean, you can't think that growl is just rhythm. Every noise you make has pitch. Right. Cool stuff. I like it. Yeah. from Megadeth. Yeah, definitely. We're not afraid of that. No, not at all. Uh, Matt, where can, uh, where can folks get this stuff? Get it on uh, Bandcamp. Got the Bandcamp set up. Uh, it's just disenchant.bandcamp.com. Bandcamp is great. Yeah, it's real good. Cool. You heard some right there, folks. There's another song online. What's, um, I guess, what's the future for, uh, for the project? Working on a record. Um, but working on it a lot, like every day. Um, cool. So that's that's next. Hopefully, having it out by the end of next year. That's my goal. Uh, we'll see, because you know, you know how things take uh, me forever to do. Yeah. And I, I especially mean, now, right? I think yeah. it takes more time now. I mean, not only in terms of being more busy or whatever. It actually ter- takes more actual minutes for me anyway. And I did recognize myself in uh, in that kind of origin, you know. Let's try to do this my on my own, and let's go to the archives. I do love going to the archives, though. It's probably the best thing I know do, of doing, right? Because you listen to something mm-hmm. from 15 years back, and suddenly it's like, why did I put the bass right there? It should be right there. It should be a syncopated bass or something like that, you know? And it's kind of like opens your ears up to your own development, which is very f- fulfilling to me anyway. So I love doing that kind of stuff. Like, uh, just... Uh, Launching about really it's yeah. like little rooms you built right in your head mm-hmm. and uh, you can go there and you can sit in the sofa and like yeah yeah it's it's, it's nice sit on the sofa but, uh, it's astrogard <laughs> but i had to teach myself how to sing though to do this stuff because i wanted to do a, at least the first album in that kind of 80s style and then you can't get mm-hmm. by with growls no you can't Not and then i have that now. other project so now i'm actually <laughs> practicing growls as well which has been fun because through the singing method it's way better for me anyway to growl. Uh, sounds better and doesn't hurt me. Yeah, you're not killing. You're not killing your voice. And what about the drums? Do you play them? Um. Yes. Some of it. Some of it's programmed. Some of it's played. Some of it's real. Some of it's fake. <laughs> I mean, yeah, great production, though. So I mean, well, like it's the, not, there, there are no there are no rules. Bad. Yeah. Who mastered? Didn't uh, I forget someone? Didn't someone master it? Yeah, I had it mastered at Finvox in uh, Finland. Ah, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. I have the, I told Greg, I told you, I have two icebreaker clips, and one of them is Finnish. One of them is Swedish. Because (laughs) for the first time on this show, I'm outnumbered by Americans. I thought I'd bring in my (laughs) two countries. And I think Matt will be 
familiar with both songs, one of the titles might be hard to pull. But I will have Greg guessing what are these tunes. Okay. That's the icebreaker. So this is like if you came in, if we were a wrestling rink, I would want this to be your walk-on tune. Nick and Paul Thunder mentioned um, Believer by Aussie. For him, good choice. That's right, yeah. So this is Backless going into the ring. Knew it from the, the first hit. Question becomes, will Greg know? Honestly, it sounds like lost for me. Well, a bit maybe, yeah. A bit maybe. We've seen this band. We've seen this band? Oh, is this, is this Spiritual Beggars? Close. Grand Magus. Oh, this is Grand Magus? Yeah. Love that band. Wanna be somebody. Starlight Slaughter, first song off The Hunt. Oh, I don't have The Hunt. That's why, okay. Great record. Great dropping too. I don't know why I said Spiritual Beggars. I know we've never seen them before. <laughs> and I think it's, you might know better than me, Matt. Is it Ludwig Witt drumming on this record? Yes, he is on this one. I think this might be the first the first record with him on it. He's an amazing drummer. An early fave of mine, because I'm very into drummers, as you might know, having heard some of my odds. And he was in Shining as well. Shining. Uh, and I think, I'm going to ask, because the bass player now in the Extreme Metal Band, he was also in Shining. So I will ask if he was actually playing with Ludwig or not. None of them are in there anymore, because Niklas can't keep a band. That's another story. Entirely. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, a whole, that's a whole different story. <laughs> you bought my tune, Astral Guard. Thanks for that. And you mentioned uh, uh, this band. I did. You weren't actually the only one. Two, uh, I heard it from two more guys. And yeah, could be a good influence for me. Trying to sing heavy metal style vocals because yeah. he's a bit lower as well in the register, but he likes his, unlike Greg, but like me, he likes his man of war and uh, you know, just walk out there on the snowy fields and uh, like slay your enemies with big axes and uh, wearing uh, le leopard pants. It's good stuff. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Everyone I've ever seen credit man of war as an influence ends up being way better than Man of War. It's fair. Okay, that's uh, promising for me then. Give me Edge of Sanity's version of Blood of My Enemies any day over Man of War's. I love that version. Dissection, battery. Yeah. But anyway, we're not gonna go there. Right. What a singer.
I will give you a half a point for Spiritual Beggars because Janne singing. I recognize the voice, but I don't know. Matt said we've seen this guy. I don't know why. I still don't know why I said Spiritual Beggars. I know we've never seen that band. He but. was in that band on, on Fire and Demons, I think. Yep. Two records at least. Yep. And Ludwig Witt also in Spiritual Beggars. I mean, two out of three members. Yeah. It's, it's fine. And I think it's Fox on bass. Some dude called himself Fox. Yeah. John, like four or five, like four years ago, there was basically, it was like a Swedish metal tour, wasn't it, Matt? Yeah. And that played uh, in Canada, in which Toronto, is, yeah, yeah, very okay. close to where we live in Buffalo. And it was it was Grand Magus, at the gates, Arch Enemy, and Amon Amarth. Was that the whole bill? Yeah. And basically, we went just to see Grand Magus, and we literally showed up as they began playing, and they played like maybe, what twenty five minutes, <laughs> yeah, thirty tops, right? On a, yeah. on a bit like that, five songs. <laughs> Yeah, five songs, but it was... Which year was this, though? This was like 2019. 2019, right before I got yeah. married. Three days before I got yeah. married. It was it was awesome. And like, honestly, like I had no idea. That was... I knew Amon and Marth was big, but I had no idea they were that big until we saw that show. It was like, they're, they're, they're huge kind over here. Kind of here. a gimmicky band. Kind of a gimmicky band. Yeah. Really. But I, I, I like kind of came to terms with them over the years. Like, okay, maybe we want to have a stupid... Viking death metal band. Why not? That's how I look at them. We're no strangers to stupid, right? On this show, we we have no grudge for that. No, and like the whole, like, it's very gimmicky, really. But it's so simplistic that it's almost cool. So yeah, I came to terms with that band. It's it's all right. Arch Enemy, I never liked though. At the gates, they were actually the best time I saw them was now recently. I think they got better live. So maybe you should have struck, stuck around for that. Or no, we did. We we, we stuck around for for basically because um, we drove like ninety minutes to get there. So we weren't going to leave after 20, 20 or thirty minutes. So we did stick around to at least we saw all of at the gates and we saw. I don't. We, we kind of walked around. And didn't really watch Arch Enemy. And then we watched a few songs of Amon or Marth. Then we left. Yeah. That riff is great. Simplistic riff. Yeah, it is great because it's just so bare bones. Uh, yeah. kind of very metal, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, I I gotta say, Mike Amott is one of the guys that steals a bit too obvious sometimes. He doesn't get the Richie Blackmore flair in his theft. It's a lot of like Sabbath riffs straight up. remember wages of sin when i came out and they were like riffs straight out of uh, sanitarium mm-hmm. <laughs> i like those first three records and then after that it just drops off from me. I like those first three records, and then after that, it just drops off for me. Burning Bridges was pretty cool, I guess. 
Yeah, all right. When they had uh, what that Johan dude on vocals. Yeah, I think I remember a song called Silverwing. That was good. Editor's note. Arch enemies, silver wing. While good, 38 special might want to have a word. Check out Hold on Loosely. When the guys in Blue Oyster Cult heard this bit, they probably said, Hey! Hey! I still think it is true that good artists borrow and great artists steal, but they steal a little more smooth than this. Alright, that's enough of an arch enemy detour for one episode. Uh, should we get back on talking? Oh, yeah, I have my other icebreaker, the Finnish one. This is a weird one because I sent this to you. Didn't send it to more than like three guys. <laughs> and you were one of them for some reason. So it's uh, this tune. And this is going to be hard for Greg. Probably the first time you ever hear it. Missä onnen kaukoranta paineli plattaa? Missä kukat kauneimmat luo aina loistettaa? Siellä huolet huomisen voi jäädä unholaan. Breakdown. <laughs> no. <laughs> So this Finnish tango, the existence of that genre baffling to me still. Why do we have tango and in Finland? I have a question about this. Is that a newer song? No, no. 1970s. 70s. Oh, wow. And <laughs> you had actually heard it, right? And you also, for some odd reason, you're actually into this stuff. I am. I... Uh... I love Finnish music and not just heavy metal. I like a lot of Finnish music. And I well, I, uh, I listen to, <laughs> I have a Finnish tango playlist on That's awesome. Spotify that I listen to. And it's the fifth song on it. I don't I don't know how to pronounce a lot of things because my Finnish is off. Satuma, it means tale, yeah. a story, like okay. a saga, you know. And it's uh, actually, for me, it was like growing up here in Sweden with a Finnish mom. There were some vinyl of this sort and they were a joke to me and my sister we laughed at it but as i got older i started to listen seriously to it and it's like fuck this is high quality playing and 
cool melodies also with that melancholy all the time. So it's not at all heavy, obviously. There's no distortion in sight, but it still has the Nordic kind of uh, weight to it. And I, I usually pitch this guy like he's going to be the last person on earth to ever do a meat supplement, <laughs> like uh, eat corned beef or something. Never going to happen. <laughs> Way too manly for that. <laughs> I love it. And Jan Ingren, Magus too, I think. Actually, Matt, your favorite band of all time is Finnish, right? Amorphous, right? Probably. I mean, they're, they're are, are they st- are they still your favorite band? They're of all up time? there. I still I still love them. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they they probably kicked off my love for all things Finland. Yeah, and you can hear some of it in in your tune there as well. Yeah, it's an obvious influence, I think. Melissa from Boston, mm-hmm. she was on recently on Made Naked Z. Mm-hmm. She mentioned they had a new album live. So I actually checked that out. Um, yeah. And it was it was cool. A lot of stuff that I had no clue they had been doing. Yeah. I knew like Black Winter Day, you know. And I saw them live very early. It was the show I was supposed to see Pantera and Slayer, but then 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. So Slayer went, Pantera didn't, mm-hmm. so they had to redo the whole lineup. It ended up being Amorphous, In Flames, Cradle of Filth. Slayer. Wow. Which was a cool build. I mean, I was 14 years old. That's actually more more varied than it would appear to be. It's actually a pretty varied bill. And I sat down the entire gig for Cradle of Filth, even though I was up front, mm-hmm. just to show that I'm not into this band. It was very <laughs> important those years, right? Yes. You had to show it. And actually, I have to admit, recently I heard like Her Ghost in the Fog. It was actually a pretty good song. Mm-hmm. You know, so you grow and I guess you become more accepting whatever those guys are up to. It sounds yeah. pretty cool, actually. If I could turn the vocals down, they'd be <laughs> even better. But <laughs> well, They have identity, though. Which is that is true. Yeah. I'll give him that. Yeah. A rare thing with extreme vocals. Absolutely. Yeah. I would say Colin has identity as well. so professional that's the first thing i heard mm-hmm. so i, I asked greg immediately okay this guy is he available yeah <laughs> but then peter in my band was a gatekeeper like no man we're not going to take in americans here <laughs> so it's going to be us two doing this and maybe he was right i don't know <laughs> someday someday yeah man <laughs> Speaking of that, are you intending to get more people on board or are you quite comfortable with this duo setup that you're doing and then maybe have a live lineup at some point? Um, I think for the next record, I'm going to, I'm definitely going to bring on more people to, to work on things. Um, 
I'm probably gonna hire a drummer to do it. Like session though, right? Yeah, session. They're not gonna be in the band photo. Probably not. Maybe that doesn't actually matter, but I mean, figuratively speaking, because yeah, I just at this point, I just want I just want to have complete control over everything. So I feel like you know, hiring people is the way to go. Yeah, there you go. There's a there's a fun photo. There's the band photo. Yeah, that's actually a cool photo, man. It's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, we went out in the woods and did the thing. You nailed it with that one. It's like that kind of stuff. Most people would do it uh, tongue in cheek or something. That looks completely grave serious, and I like that. I don't like irony and sarcasm. It's boy way, way overrated. Got to be serious here. Yeah, it's uh, it is a serious thing. It's not like it's not deadly serious. You know, it's it's not ridiculous, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's something I wanted to do and spend a lot of time doing, right? Right, exactly. Like, put a lot of work into it, so I want it to be my own thing. And you know, driving the ship for once completely is it's fun, it's scary, it's also a ton of work. So it is, yeah. But it's rewarding when you have like a duo setup. It's nice because a phone call away, you have a full band meeting. I noticed <laughs> because I have that in both my bands now going. I mean, we have got John on playing bass on Astrogard, but he's in Florida, so that's really just because it's cool because mm-hmm. he's an og and he's a great bass player and i mean it's easy to line that in and add bass on my tracks and then we have alex from shining a few other bands croft he's in craft as well black metal band. oh he's in crafts okay oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. okay. yeah he plays live with them yeah and on records too actually yeah. yeah i think he wrote some lyrics as well but anyway he plays with Starpats with me and pete but that's the same kind of thing even though he's available though mm-hmm. but it's still nice to have that solid Two people kind of black metal setup, right? Yeah. Satyricon, Dark Throne. Yeah. Yeah. I might go the other way completely and just do the record myself and then have a bunch of people in the band photo very battery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. But there yeah. was no one on those records, right? It's just it's just Quarathon, right? Yeah. Yeah, this is like they came up with new drummer names all the time, like yeah. Mr. McFeast or something like that. There's that one uh, promo photo for Hammerheart, right? Where they're like in like the forest with like uh no shirts on and swords and there's 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 no one on that record but Corthon. Yeah. no <laughs> he was such a character he was wearing these uh, jock straps and stuff <laughs> yeah uh, really interesting guy like uh, yeah didn't seem to have a lot of uh, fear in him no definitely not obviously a bit of a legend yeah uh, just a little bit just a little bit yeah just a little bit trailblazer So speaking of legends, I guess uh, at this point we'll kind of we'll, we'll pivot onward. I guess before we get into uh, the song we're going to do, Matt, just give your uh, give your take, give your Megadeth take. Your life in death. If yeah, if you had to, if you had to explain your thing, your vibe, your feelings towards Megadeth, what would you say? 
they were always on the periphery, I think, for a lot of things. I I always liked them, but I didn't get into them, I think, until a little bit later. Just because they didn't grab me the same way I think a lot of other bands initially grabbed me. With that being said, I think some of the, I mean, I think their highs are, you know, among the highest highs and, you know, that style, you know, and speed metal, thrash, whatever you want to call it. Um, I like certain eras of the band probably more than most other people, I think, um, including one of the songs we're going to talk about today, I think is from one of their best records. Um, but I don't think it's a record that a lot of people would say is one of their best records. Um, and I also have a weird relationship with some of their newer stuff. Um, I didn't, I didn't feel as great about it. I think as you guys did overall, uh, I think there's a lot more iffiness on the new record, but I also thought some of it was incredibly good. I think we're also, we were having a good time, right? We haven't really listened. I haven't listened to it since, and I'm pretty sure you haven't either. Right. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. As a matter of fact, because of that one episode, I, I have a hard time listening to it without feeling like I'm hungover. Because of that one time, oh, the that episode throwing, yeah. where I was like, right, basically, I I rolled into the session basically still drunk, and it's just like so. I I hear new Megadeth, and I just feel like I feel like kind of sick to my stomach, like like I had too much to drink or something. <laughs> Well, I guess at this point, since, since we're kind of treading this way and so we don't have to be mysterious, uh, Matt, what's the song you're picking for us? The Disintegrators. Disintegrators off of 1997's Cryptic Writings. Yeah. The one thing I've learned from our podcast is just interacting with people is that I think that that's a record that has become, with time, and, I don't, and whether that's become appreciated because of maybe some of their some of the quality that's fallen off ever since, I guess you could say. But I think that that's a record that, um, that people have begun to appreciate more. You know? Do you remember when you heard the band the first time? I, th- I want to say, so I've got some older cousins, and I, I'm assuming that I probably heard it at their house or on MTV. Um, but I remember one of the very first times that they came into like my my view on my own type of thing. Like, like I said, knowing who they were type of thing. Um, knowing some of their songs from like the MTV era, early nineties, but this song in particular is a, is a good way to, I guess, segue into it is 97, 97. Yeah. I'm not sure if this, if it was 97, it had to have been 97 or 98 right around that time. That was, I had just gotten into mid, I had just gone into middle school which is an awful time for everyone in their life. Mm -hmm. Um, So like 12 to 14. And a bunch of my friends at the time were definitely moving towards, I mean, this is is the height of, you know, hip hop and R&B in, you know, America. So I had a lot of friends (laughs) going towards that sort of thing. And I mean, it seems like ridiculous now, like obviously your friends are your friends or whatever, but I... Sweden, I don't know how it is there, but in America, things were very clicky. Oh, no, it was like... But actually, I mean, I, I 
secretly I liked that track already then I liked Dr. Dre but anyway yeah it was clearly like it was a lot of hip hop going right. on and a lot of also stuff that is completely forgotten you know that just kind of took wind together with the with Eminem really like that was big and then there was uh, also the boy bands and the girl bands because I'm slightly younger than right. you not much I think you're in between me and Greg right I think, Probably. I think you guys might be there no, I was 12 in 98 but uh, I was like I at that time I was bothered by it because I felt like shit like music sucks now probably gonna suck forever exactly I like the 70s and 80s stuff right that's what it felt like in the 90s and then when I expanded I expanded backwards to the 60s yeah. stuff so I, I had given up on it but I think it's actually a lot better today I have to say I'm not yelling at clouds uh, even though I'm soon 40 this is true same here so yeah everyone was moving in one direction and I had very few friends that were in that other realm and uh i think yeah. my friend eric might have gotten the cd we might have traded cds or something but the cd was cryptic writings um like i said having known you know some of the other stuff from from prior but you know then hearing the disintegrators on there and just being like this can still happen in 1997 for me it was like that was like a just a confirmation of oh yeah like you can still do this type of music now yeah, for me it was Clayman actually because I felt like that was made enough, you know, or melodic enough. Uh, at that time, I couldn't register that it's clearly of that time. You know, I, what I heard were, were like, oh, finally some melodies, not just rhythm, rhythm, rhythm all the time. Right. Although arguably they went more towards that very soon thereafter, but uh, that was like a saving grace in terms of new stuff. And then I just listened to anything related to Maiden or Metallica, really, or Sabbath right. in the beginning. So, And I must mention too, because I like to say this, and my cousin might be listening, there's always at least one cousin involved. Yeah. <laughs> in almost every backstory, there's cousins involved. Like Nate from the Purple Podcast has his cousin Jeff that he likes to mention a lot. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's cool. Yeah. Like, that's what cousins are for, isn't yeah. it? Like, bring you cool records and uh, expand your world, I guess. Yeah. This is a good example where kind of the continental difference of uh, musical ev evolution kind of comes into play because, like, obviously on your side of the pond, John, there was a lot of things happening in the metal world. And it, it yeah, and we were five guys in my class in middle school yeah, with the black t the black t shirts on. Yeah. So we had a little click there, and I must say I really appreciated it to have that yeah. at that time. You know, but in America, and we're kind of in a very nascent internet environment, so it wasn't like it is now where really anything could be from anywhere and it might as well be next door, you know, like that a lot of the stuff that was happening in, in your neck of the woods wasn't, I don't think as available or prevalent. I mean, it definitely had a following over here, but it wasn't as. Well, that's why backlash is sitting with his century media uh, record catalog and uh, researching, right? If this was a video podcast, we'd have to arrange a clip of that, you know, yeah. uh, dramatize it. I think I still have that catalog. I, uh, I got a box out of my attic recently. I went through a bunch of like old magazines and there was definitely an old Century Media catalog still in there. So, And then it's like, okay, Nightingale featuring Don Svon. But for Megadeth to have a song like this in this year, because you got to remember this is 97, so we're already almost two years into Metallica being really kind of a rock and roll band that really wasn't playing anything up tempo or, or anything kind of butt rock riffy like Metallica. They had like a decade of like no, no Heffield wrist, you know, type riffing only ain't my bitch chorus. I think we mentioned before yeah, that's the exactly. only occurrence of that triplet. Yeah.
And so for Megadeth to, to really come blazing, this record has just some absolute blazing metal tracks, which was really just kind of void from popular American music. I mean, because, I mean, obviously, Pantera was still big and, you know, but like, you know, Meg, I mean, this was a platinum record in America. That's interesting. And for them to have a couple fast tracks on a record for a kid like me was like... Thank you. <laughs> Stylistically, it's a pretty big departure from everything else they've ever done. Um, and the, the preceding tracks, the way it leads up to it, too, is it's, I mean... It, it comes out of nowhere. It comes like, out of when nowhere. It, when, yeah, it, when it, it hits in, I was like, oh, my God, this, this song just kind of shows up, yeah. blows your balls off. And then there's the bullhorn song, isn't it, that is also fast, right? The bullhorn or something like that. It's been so long since I listened. In its demo phase, it was called Bullprick, but it ended up being FFF. That's the last That's song. Right. That's right. Yeah. Great tune, too. this was different right I, I wasn't starved for speed or anything i had like i had a whole slayer discography to dig through and uh, the local bands were fast as well you know we had a thrash crossover stuff from up north in Uppsala and a lot of black and death metal and we played fast everyone played fast so i didn't have that like craving oh i did and also I, in general i have less of that craving right so i was really into the stuff that sounded like skinnerty you know like uh, i love uh, almost honest for example i think it's a, a killer track Great. I used a man. I still listen to that song regularly, and I listen to it for sound reference. I think it sounds great. It's very smooth and nice to the ears. But I mean, it's like uh, over here to listen to something that sounds skinnerty doesn't really. But you know what I mean. It's interesting in a different way for me. Kind of like you discovering Finnish tango, I guess. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I like the rocking stuff on this record. I think it's really good. And it's weird how Risk... Did they really risk anything? Or did they just dilute this? No, they this? did. They, they went, they just they went too far. Yeah, I don't know. I think this record is even more risky than Risk is, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I think it's got more... It's more of a departure from the thing they did before it, right? Like this before mm -hmm. this is Euthanasia, yeah, even from right? Euthanasia, you're right. It's a big yeah. so departure. It's a big jump, and I mean, it's not a ton of time either. I mean, it's only a couple of years, so a couple of years, yeah. Risk, I just didn't feel like had the same impact. I mean, Cryptic Writings when that came out, it was just everyone's like, "What is this?" It was so different.
there's an argument to be made that cryptic. Well, I'm making the argument that it's it's the quintessential Megadeth record in in the fact that it really gives you a, a full painting of of everything that they are at their at their best. Really, I mean, they're heavy. You know, at that time, I mean, they gave you everything that they were prior to that record all on one record. Like I would say, like like I, I mean, this is. Like that hardwired record by Metallica, like you could argue that's the most all-encompassing Metallica record ever because you could, if you had to say what is Metallica in its totality, I would give someone that record because it it has all of their preceding periods covered. Yes. So basically, I, I kind of look at Cryptic Writings and Hardwired as almost like brother or sister records in the fact that they are they're snapshots of really the entire, the, the, the whole picture of what the band is really about. Because you said just now everything they were, but I'm sure you meant everything they were and also everything they actually would become. become right? Well, yeah, everything that, yeah, everything that they were. Yeah. And, and like I said, it is a hint of, of what's coming, but I don't think that they, I don't think they perfected what they were doing on that record with risk at all, you know, but that's a whole different semi podcast. <laughs> yes, it is. Your favorite uh, Megadeth album-centric yeah. transatlantic podcast. So let's listen to the song. Yeah, The Disintegrators. I haven't heard it in a long, long time. So I was kind of... Uh, I had to think twice when, when I got the title. Oh, okay, that tune, right? Believe it's a Mustaine only. Mm -hmm. Neat length. Yeah. I like that. Interesting uh, length. It's I'll short. get into why. Yeah, it's... There's something particularly peculiar about this song too. Yes, um, I agree. And there's and there's something I, John, I think I think you might know what I'm getting at. That's peculiar about this song. Well, I need a refresh listen, but I'll give it a shot. And also, I, I do get what you mean with the length, though, because it's too short to be a standard song length. Because that's 3:48. You're on the right track. Let's listen to it. absurdly tight and you can hear it's not in that edited way it's just super well performed like these guys are really on the top of their game playing here the guitar tone it's not super bottom heavy at all and it's almost it's almost like they've they've dialed back the distortion quite a bit it's almost got that very you know it's kind of like the opeth thing or like if you're just playing clean really clean almost on the cusp guitars are like going over the edge it sounds even heavier sometimes, you know. I would say because it's it's got one of those tones that if you if you stack tracks, if you yeah. if you then it, it sounds a lot heavier than it actually is if you isolate each guitar track. And then you yeah, and you have a good sounding rhythm section, of course, to to back it up underneath. But Opeth right. Opeth was a good reference because it's not exactly old yes. school rock and roll sounding. It's like more yes. like a Blackwater Park type. Yeah. I'm not going to pretend to even be able to guess what they used, but I guess like Jacksons and Marshalls probably. That, I would guess that. Yeah. 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 Jacksons, you know, I mean. Jacksons, yeah. Marshalls, Tube Screamer in between, something like that. Probably, yeah. But a good tone. Also, yeah. like I mentioned referencing like sort of acoustic sounds from um, Use the Man, and this is also like, it's a good audio reference, really. It's, it just sounds clear. Yeah. 
But it's, I would say I also credit a lot of it to the playing. I, I would also say that the, it's not it's not the reason why it sounds like the, it's not really produced like it's the whole, even this song the whole record it's produced like a rock record. It's not a metal production yes. style. It's all very earthy and airy and. There's a lot of space within the space. the space. Total space. You know, it's not compressed and like everything. Like obviously, like we said, it's not over distorted. It's not super heavy. But it's very much produced like a rock band. It's a proper Megadeth riff right there. I also like how it's the um, like that's not it's not chugged it's it's percussive it's not chugged so he's not, he's not actually chunking the notes it sounds like he's just muting the strings and kind of like just it's very percussive there's no actual chugging or palm muting well there's palm muting but it's not muting the note it's just muting all the strings so you got that percussive thrack you know he's laying his hands on the strings and it's taking the uh, the train of consequences thing to the absolute maximum, you know. When you listen now, do you get the same feeling like when you discover the track? Yeah. Oh yeah, this song rips. It rips for life. I, I will always get stoked for this one. Takes Absolutely. me back. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh yeah, this chorus, nice and poppy. It's fun. Ah, a bit of the double chorus. Oh yeah, this is awesome. What I loved about it listening now was that when you thought it would end, you got that little tail thing. Uh, Very clever arrangement. Like good songwriting to good arrangement. I'm not sure if he did the arrangement or if he got the arrangement and Added, uh, I mean, either way, it's equal. I don't know. They've never ever recovered. <laughs> they've never recovered from Marty Freeman leaving that band. You know, like he is. <laughs> like every time we talk about or we listen to stuff from him, it's just like, even if he's not writing the song, like he he's just a presence felt that just they've not been able to duplicate or replicate since he's been gone. I mean, he really was just like the the push over the top. Like he was the thing. You know. Like they've never yeah, just fit it. He fit that band so yeah. well. It was like a glove, yeah. you know. Just everything he did mm-hmm. is. I mean, I think that's a you know, a testament to Marty's playing in general. I mean, he. I'm sure you can do that with anything, but I mean, he just fit. He just fit it so mm-hmm. well. He fit. He could do it so with well. anything, but then again, Dave is an exceptionally good riff writer. Yeah. So You're right. cool combination, and we did that uh, Budokan thing, but it wasn't a properly session based episode. I was cooking and speaking into my phone voice messages, but I mentioned then that. I mean, it's almost like mean to Kiko, but the fact that he just came in and didn't sound like he had practiced that much 
made him cool. Yeah. And it's like, he's never going to play the solo exactly the no, same. No, and that's, we always talk about he's that. He's not improvising per se either. It's not improvising, no. but he's just really playing guitar. He's, you know, we're luck, we're luck feels like It feels bad to say, to, like, this feels like Kiko worked so hard yeah. and he's so awesome at guitar, but, ah, you know, I'm just partial to that. That uh, it's the punk spirit. You you said it, Greg. Like uh, he's the guy that um, came in with from Dead Kennedys, but somehow yeah, he could play like like, like Ingrid, he's the know. guy who who he was in Ramones, yeah, but he, he could wanted play like Ingrid, he, he like really that. wanted to play like Ace Frehley and Johnny Ramone, but he accidentally ended up playing him like fil- like putting them through like a Ingve filter, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah which is why he's he's always to guitars. me. That's why he's always going to be one of the best shredders because he's always like reluctantly so shredding. Like he's never. I've never heard yeah. a live version of him nailing that um, acoustic part in Holy Wars ever. Like he's 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 he he's dumped so many notes live that I've heard, and it, it doesn't even bother me because it just sounds cool. Like he like he'll always like. I just you know? remember his instruction video when he's just like having an attitude about it, but I like it. It's like, yeah. okay, so I'm playing this. You think that's pretty cool. I'm already bored of it. Next, yeah. Next thing. <laughs> but I yeah. want to ask you, Matt, it's the artist series after all. You're a guitarist, right? Primarily. Uh, yeah, sure. And we all come in from like different angles. For me, it was a tool to write songs. I've come to love the guitar. I still think drums are cooler and I still think like a trumpet is a cooler instrument as well, but I've come to love guitar and I can even look at guitars and like, wow, that's a sick guitar, that kind of stuff. But I was never really playing guitar for the sake of playing guitar. So I'm not a reluctant shredder simply because I can't shred. But if I could shred, I would be a reluctant shredder in a way because I I started playing because it looked like something I could write songs on. What about you? That's exactly why I started playing guitar. For me, from the get-go, it was... uh you know that's why i started playing guitar i wanted to write music i yeah i had all these all these ideas about the way music should sound and uh i mean at the time i mean obviously when when you're 12 years old you have bad ideas about how music should sound <laughs> some good but, uh, some good some yeah. bad yeah yeah i mean I, it's, but it's a progression no that that was for me that was a two i mean i i probably had dreams at one point of being a uh you know a little bit more of an Olympic athlete at my instrument than I am. Uh, I never got like to that next level, but I got, I I look at playing guitar. Like I look at like, you know, like a painter, obviously the more techniques and the more like colors you have, you're going to be able to do more things and you're going to be able to express yourself better. Um, Mm -hmm. To me, that was as much as I like love punk rock. I always thought that, you know, the argument that, you know, these shredders didn't play with any, you know, any sort of feeling i always thought it was complete bullshit because that's absolute bullshit they have a yeah. lot of feeling most of them have tons right. of it really i mean even even alone in the fact that they've sat around perfecting their and playing their instrument shows that they have passion for something like how can you say someone doesn't have passion when they devote their life to playing better like that to me it's an oxymoron like it can't be it can't be true um but yeah, and that's how I look at it. You just you're painting with more colors, the more techniques. And that I've, Marty Freeman's a, a a perfect example of that. He could do whatever he wants, and sometimes he just lays back and and plays cool stuff instead of being like, you know, the shred machine. Like he can do that, and he and he does it when the the song calls for it. But when it doesn't, he does the you know these all these harmonic passages and these awesome things that make the song better instead of just you know jacking off all over it. So <laughs> and he moves on stage. 
That's oh yeah, he knows how to rock. He, he moves. Yeah. He, rock he, he rocks. He rocks yeah. out. You know. Yeah, like, he's a rock uh, and roll guy. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's so. what Richie Blackmore would only comment on yeah. all the time. How yeah. they moved. Like he would, he would refuse to comment on their actual playing. But it was like Jimi Hendrix. He moved yeah. cool. Ingrid Malmsteen, a bit creepy. <laughs> you know? But even you know, Malmsteen, for example, not really my wheelhouse as a kid. I kind of got into it a bit now. Uh, Christian obviously is his god, uh, and Christian is my mentor here locally. Mm-hmm. So now I got into it a bit, but even. In that case, he's like quite severely misunderstood because people only talk about him playing a lot of notes. Even people that are really, I know for a fact that they're really good at analyzing music, they're musicians themselves, but sort of like they can't see the forest for all the trees because what I think is remarkable about that guy is feeling. It's the vibrato and stuff. It's, it's very unique and very, very musical. So, And I mean, the fact that he took Made in Japan, uh, Deep Purple, yeah. and he, it's hard panned, lord blackmore so he only used the lord side and he taught himself the entire record when he was in his teens you mean that's not about playing a million notes that's about having ears and uh, yeah yeah, obviously like legendary player and that's a bit sad you know because uh, i think a lot of people doesn't have to be metal doesn't have to be english but a lot of people miss music because they hear a superficial thing or a quantifiable thing and they can't hear the music that is actually in Mm -hmm. there right but I think Marty Friedman was a good school for me because he was one of the first guys that I heard play impossible stuff. But I had that melody thing that I needed, right? I, to a degree, I still need it. Megadeth is a very melodic band, really. Um, I, I like hardcore and punk as well, though. More now than ever. So, it's uh, But that's melody as mm-hmm. well, right? It's just in a different way. Absolutely. But yeah, I'm, I'm the same thing, you know? Like I love melody and music. I mean, that's the... The basis of music is melody, so obviously that's what I want to hear too. At, I mean, at least I like if you're Finnish, yeah, <laughs> depends <laughs> a little bit on where the music's from. But uh, up here, it's very melody based. Yes, yeah. America, America, you've got a good mix though. You got the rhythm part too. Like a lot of my favorite American stuff is relying a lot on rhythm. So, and the band's, you know, ACDC and stuff like that, very much rhythm and very very Absolutely. good. Yeah, very. There are there's no um, set. There's no set of answers. No. basically. But this song is pretty much like a big do this and it's going to be good. Right. But they never did again, right? This is a totally unique song. That's what's well, a totally game. unique song on a totally unique album. I mean, they never did anything like this really ever again. And before we play pretty much the rest, uh, the chorus, that was fun. I had forgotten about that. Mm-hmm. That kind of the glissando, the long notes there. Mm-hmm. That's not yeah. something he would usually do and sounded great. It sounds awesome. And fun. Fun is also nice. Yeah. I got almost a bit of a double chorus. I got the three chorus or whatever we did. We did walk the chorus. And then get it to the number. Almost a bit bluegrass. Oh, it was recorded in Nashville. Ah, there we go. And this part, this is almost like an anthemic metal counterpart to the bluegrass thing. And it's too short, which is great. You want more of it. This is more of the. British heavy metal. Yeah. This is a mistake. 
me at 12, this was this was the shit, this is what I wanted to hear. This type of thing, you know. Still do, but especially then. You're right, Craig. You got everything. Pummeling. Hmm. Just a. What a song. There's really not. There's just. Song. That, that song is just a pummel fest. Gets in, gets out. And I think the next song is I'll Get Even, which is like totally like on the scale of. The opposite. Yeah, it's like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It totally. So. Yeah. So the structure of that song is yeah. Let's look at that. It's odd. It's odd because there's only one verse. Yes. Oh, that's. I never really thought about that. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. But usually you don't. In songs with one verse, they usually get away with it. Like uh, tear gas, catatonia, yeah. tear gas. If you heard that, one verse. Yeah, yeah. But you don't really notice it because it's a well written, well composed song. Silver Star by Astral Guard. One verse. That's true. Good catch. Notice that verse. the other day. I was listening. I was like, "Man, this only has one verse in it, too. That's really only weird." Yes. Yeah, and only two choruses. Yeah, uh, this is similar. Um, I think there's three choruses in this one, though. But still, I mean, you know, you're getting a lot done in under three minutes. You know what I mean with the, with a song that's, like this. But. That's another thing. Yeah, that to, to to piggyback on that. I remember the first time I ever heard that song. I was like, "Wow, this is under three minutes." Like it felt like. They packed so much in there, you know? I wish there was a second verse. It, that verse kicks ass. It does. I wish there was a second mm-hmm. one. But that goes for the whole song for me. Like the chorus, the the second, or actually, I guess the, the proper chorus, the, when it gets a bit more metally in the melody, I want more every time. But I like that also, a song that leaves you wanting more, right? And uh, a kick-ass verse, you only get one, so you have to listen to the song again, I guess. I mean, it's... Uh, it's effective, I mean, I've been not been focusing on this track really. I knew it's okay. It's that fast, goofy song on on uh, cryptic, but I'm glad you brought it in because this is uh, probably among their best songs. I think it's a great song. It's one of my favorite songs from them. I mean, like I said, I've got some nostalgia tied to that, but I also think it's just a good song in general. I mean, and especially what's, for the time like, period. What's not good about it? Everything is great. Right. <laughs> like, right. Exactly. The bluegrassy thing also. I'm already satisfied with that, and then you get that awesome. <laughs> it reminds me of something. Get invaders. He's coming to town. A fiery invader. Burn it down to the ground. The disintegrators. He's coming to town. A fiery invader. Most of 
most overlooked and underrated track possibly in their entire discography because everyone I think just assumes metal bands in the mid late 90s were just all shit or whatever and I don't think a lot of people who would have liked Megadeth when they were heavier unless you were like our age I think a lot of people might have checked out by then and I don't even think they even are aware a lot of older fans are even aware that this song exists because I don't see how you couldn't love like Countdown or Rust in Peace and, and, and not hear a song like Disintegrators or really any of the more metallic songs on this whole album and not be like I don't see how you wouldn't like that this song especially it's it's just such such a slept on track and and honestly I don't think they've ever played it live outside of the tour for this record either which I don't know why I mean to me this is like this song is like, fucking open with yes every gig fucking from great on. live song you know okay just do that because I think they could play it well too the singing would be a challenge but all singing is a challenge for him live anyway so right we haven't that's why we haven't talked that much about making it live yeah you know we did talk about uh, was it you that brought up the uh, uh, rude awakening version of Devil's Island? Oh yeah, when he sounds like a demented Mickey Mouse or something. Yeah, he's like he's really yeah. odd that they put that on a release. But yeah, luckily we're not on that one now. Uh, I'm gonna say just to piggyback on what you said, uh, I did always consider '97 a, a year that could have good heavy metal. But for me, I missed this song because I pinned it as that song, the odd one out on the record. So it was never like part of because i already liked the record but it wasn't like one of the character songs on the record so i thought okay they have this faster song it's probably not that good because this record is all about that thing so i missed it too like uh, i would say i never really gave it as much of an ear well i don't i don't know that there is a character for me personally i don't know that there is a character song in this record because i think the character is the record because it's such a broad palette of everything that they were capable of at, at at their best that I think to me it's almost like the whole record is like a single basically to me it's like it's a it's a standalone thing trust trust celebrate That's the song true, yeah. you, you guys like it you like it I like yeah, it yeah I do I do like it's it it's a cool yep. song and then we got uh, almost honest used the man cool stuff too mastermind I recall being fun too uh, a good song it's a lot of character it's got a lot of mustaine Album yeah. track. A lot of Mustaine-isms in, in a song like Mastermind where kind of does that internal, external monologue, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, we got She-Wolf as well. Oh, She-Wolf. For a maiden nut like me, you know, what's not allowed? Yeah. It sounds like the Maiden to see theme song. Basically, yes, it does. <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> it does. It does a lot. Yeah, very much so. No, yeah. Cool record. Do you have any other highlights uh, on this one since you brought it in? Uh Greg, do you like She Wolf? I lo- we love She Wolf. Love She Wolf. It's a great song, and I believe that's a song. I think they still play that one regularly live. They played I'm it the sure. first time I saw them. Yeah. They played that, and that was for me the highlight of the set. And I was not familiar I saw them, like, with Cryptic then. Uh, it, it was yeah. actually good enough to you know those songs that are good and very. I mean, if they're well performed with a good sound, you can get it on a, on an instant. Great chorus. Great chorus. Yeah, I remember pop, you know Mustaine saying at one point that. There is um, a riff. I believe it's the last riff in the song Vortex, which I think at one point says he said that that's how he he. I think he said if he had to judge a guitarist, he would judge them based on how or if they could play that riff, because I think he, at one point he said that it might be the most difficult riff for him to play that he's ever written. 
So it's kind of a Richard Blackmore move, but Richard Blackmore who <laughs> would play um, Light in the Black and test drummers. So he would never stop playing it and see how long they could endure for. Really? Bit of, bit of an asshole move, but yeah, uh, yeah you, will, well. you will probably weed out those guys that are not Cozy Powell by doing that. <laughs> right. Well, if you have Cozy Powell, you don't need anybody exactly. else. So. Exactly. Yeah, well, I guess he did actually come in that way. Oh, right. It was yeah. like the rites of, rites of passage. Oh, that's cool. Maybe. <laughs> um, you never know, Richie just says stuff. <laughs> He's one of those guys that just says stuff. Yeah. This is true. Very entertaining. Yeah. You got anything else you want to add in regards to the Disintegrators, Matthew? Um. I just want to say, yeah, it's, it's a it was a song that like renewed my faith in uh, in metal at the time. I know that sounds really cheesy, but it's true. It was uh, it was a dark time, and I heard that, and I was just like, "Yep, things are going to be okay moving forward." Mm-hmm. If we could still if we could still have a song like that come out in 1997, and you know, on a platinum record, nonetheless. Right to me, it was just like, yeah, we're we're full steam ahead from here on out. Let's go. Yeah. I wanted to talk about speed a little bit. This is uh, being the transatlantic speed metal podcast, right? Uh, or a state of the art speed metal podcast. Yeah. So was the speed, was that what you got that renewed your fate? Or was it more all the other stuff that kills in this song, like the, just the melodies and the riffage? And uh, what was it? Because if it was Greg, it would have been the speed. That <laughs> oh, of course. Greg, Greg, Greg immediately. <laughs> have you ever heard the story about Greg looking at the shortest song on the on albums? <laughs> well, I haven't heard the story, but I can like uh, backwards engineer it to be true. Yes. So this is this is a Gregism. When he would when he was younger, he said he would get, you know, he would look at the back of the album and see what what was the shortest song, and he put that one on first because he knew it was going to be the fastest one. And that's Love I it. mean, if there's if there's a way to, if there's a way to sum up Greg, that that to me always hits really hard. I'm like, yeah, that's that's Greg right there. Like, yeah, I, love it. I can just see him as like, you know, a, an 11 year old kid flipping the record over and be like, oh man, fast as shark. This only got it's two minutes long. Let's get that one on her. <laughs> right, uh, right. What, yeah, yeah. What was what's the Van Halen song you always reference? Loss of control. Uh, loss of control. Uh, which even is, the title implies it yeah. should be fast. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, we're not we're not going to get into you know the merits of that right. song right now. But uh, <laughs> again, it, the shortest song on the record mm-hmm. that was the one Greg was going for. Skip to it directly. Yeah, I like the it. speed I like was it. a big factor, but it wasn't. It wasn't the deciding factor. I mean, everything about the song rips the solo. Mm-hmm. Uh, the chorus is great. The verse, the the single solitary verse you get. Um, right. Yeah. The and whole I will add, like, not being a speed freak, the speed is integral for the song. I think the speed well, it would have been the same song without it. I, I would admit that. Coming with what comes before it, I mean, the trust, mm. almost honest, use the man, mastermind. It's these four songs that are just kind of like building up, building mm-hmm. up, and then this comes on, and it's just like it comes out. Even the way it starts, it's, it's very abrupt. Like ma- Mastermind is the track before it, right? And then yep. like all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's just like like you know immediately that this thing is. And you're like, you're like, hell yeah, turn up the stereo, exactly. And the speed, I think, I think the whole speed being a factor. I don't know if I don't. That might only be a factor just because, at least in America at the time, music had got music had really pulled back the BPMs. You know, all those bands were, except for like Slayer, but mm-hmm. all those bands were playing slower now. And so, just the yeah, fact when you got Rain and Blood, you, know, you were probably looking at it and just like, yeah, all these songs are probably they're, fast. They're all short. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, <laughs> the longest song is End of Death. It's fast as fuck. Yeah, yeah. It's but true. like, but but by 1997, all the bands that people thought were metal they all had that pantera groove 
you know, and they yes. all slowed down Something and they were all like. mid tempo. So to hear in America an American band, especially in an era where everyone thought the big bands were sellouts and everyone was cutting hair and everyone was, you know, rocking. Just to hear an actual an actual speed metal song, an actual speed metal song. Frankly, it's an aggressive record. Yeah, but it, it is more of that groove. Yeah, for sure, definitely yeah. the, the New Orleans type groove. Even though they're Texan. Yeah, I mean, I would even I would even argue Slayer slowed down with you know well, Diablos and music. They or had whatever. well, they hadn't gotten to that record yet by '97. They were they were still a year away. But they were. You know what I mean. They were that's getting true, there. yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Was one Undisputed of the first attitude was fast, but I yeah. mean, it was all covers. So. That's true, yeah. One of the first I got was Diablos, and I only really ever listened to Bitter Peace. I liked that song, and I didn't find anything in any other song on that record. Oh, there was this uh, Screaming from the Sky that was also all right. I don't yeah, But there was also, I got like this bonus tracks. I listened to them all the time, because that was South of Heaven, Angel of Death and Raining Blood or something like that, live. So that's what I listened to when I, when I got that. It's probably Slayer's worst album, isn't it? Yeah, well, also, like they, just like every other band, although I shouldn't say you know every band slowed down, including Slayer. So yeah, Matt, that is true. They did slow down. But like all those bands, they fucked with like their cool logos, too. Like Even Slayer like fucked with their logo. It's like, why? Even Maiden. <laughs> Maiden they, all, they all hit these fucking killer logos and killer names, and they decided to fuck with how cool that stuff was. I never got that. Well... Metal, metal wasn't cool was, in the 90s, it was man. Not, it was tough. It was not. Now, John, you know, we've had kind of this conversation before. Obviously, Matt and I look at it, you know, from the perspective of Americans. But, like, you know, on your side of the pond, I mean, you were literally in the middle of, like, the vanguard or the oncoming wave of really what was going to influence a lot of 21st century metal. Like, was there that metal fallout over there or was it just like it, it went right back into the next wave and you guys were still like still like was metal did metal ever truly fall out of vogue over there like it did here it wasn't cool that's the same but it was still big and i mean especially where i am from a suburb uh, like sub city you could call that or sub commune uh, sort of like a moped country you know uh, it's like uh, it's not uh, rural but it's not urban and there you know tons of made in shirts metallica shirts it was almost like it was you know it was it was the music really in my school uh, where i grew up actually coincidentally same school as dead in mayhem oh i went to the same grade school as him yeah hmm. i don't know much about him i think he was a pretty hopeless character but yeah oh, anyway. i would say so yeah yeah uh so yeah metal was big and i mean it's weird because it was coming to the 2000s, but we still listened to like Fear of the Dark. Everyone knew Fear of the Dark. Like my friend's sisters, wow. elder sisters, they knew Fear of the Dark. That was a big record for some reason. And uh, in the school cabaret, you know, the band went up and played Afraid Shoot Strangers. No singing because no one could. <laughs> like, uh, we did a Black Sabbath medley, 10 minute Black Sabbath medley when I was 15. Well, I could definitely medley. say that we that this part of the conversation shows how drastically different society was in both America and Sweden at the time, as far as their approach or time, yeah, their yeah. relationship with I mean, metal. I mean, it was the exact opposite over here, right, man? Yeah, yeah. I would say so. <laughs> and I, uh, yeah. And I wasn't surprised to see like that, that sound slowly catching on the kind of uh, dissection sound, at the gate sound, inflamed sound. I was sure it was going to end up on your shores. Oh, it sure did. And, uh, and, and then now we even get like, authentic sounding stuff like Stormkeep, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, really, I don't think there's 
any, maybe Vatain, but I don't think there are any other Swedish bands that do that sound as good as those guys today. Um, trying to think. I, I like Vatain. I even like that record yeah, that... They're really good. Yeah, we did uh, They Rode On, right? I Yeah, I love, I like the record that everyone no, hated. Great I think it's a great record. I wish they had done more of that, but they kind of went right back to their old thing, you know, after that. But it's cool, you know, they're, they're good regardless, but... Yeah, I dig Watain. It's a bit similar with Mayhem. Like, they do something interesting, but then they go oh, back yeah. again, and it's like uh, they try to do uh, Wolf's Lair Abyss again, yeah. and the first song is just whore. It's just whore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they did Grand Declaration of War, and then the next record yeah, was Yeah, and, and that was interesting and, yeah. and a good listen. I like that record. Chimera was boring. Chimera is probably the, the worst record, yeah. I think. They've said yeah. multiple times that's like their most commercial record, and you could tell at the time they were definitely going for, you know. Which one? Most commercial? Chimera. Ah, uh, yeah, maybe yeah. it is. Again, that's from an American perspective, because I will always see, like, the one everyone knows is, of course, Satanas, right? Oh, the, oh the, the debut? Or, well, not the debut, but I guess... I would say it's... Well, it is their first album, quote-unquote. I mean, I, obviously, that's a... Classic. I wouldn't say it's commercial, but it's it's well-known because Probably of, the most know. sold, the most streamed, etc. But yeah, that doesn't right. make it commercial. You're right. right. So, like, a commercial-sounding record could be Chimera, yes. but I don't think it was a success. That's what I meant. Yeah. Not a no, commercial success, I, yeah. I meant commercially sounding, yeah. um, and they said they said as much at the time that that was kind of the the point. So, yeah, I like Grand Declaration Award. I still enjoy that record. My favorite Mayhem record. It's a very interesting record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay, we can conclude it. Um, it, it was great to have you on, and I think it's kind of cute that me and Greg we never met, but it's gone as far as to me getting to know your friends as well uh, on my own on the side it's it's miss matt and it's um, atkins of course yeah that's right yeah Atkins. Yeah. well it's been the same thing for me too for me on your side yeah they listen to you stuff know. you don't listen to that i listen yeah exactly to. like captain beyond or uh, rayo type you know so it's it's uh it broadens it a lot and i mean it would have it would be normal if we we're in the same group, right. in the same physical space oh yeah but the fact that it still happens mm-hmm via internet with that sort of the threshold of a friend request yeah it's cute I yeah like it. oh i knew i knew i knew matt would be perfect uh for both uh this conversation and for conversation with you uh aside for me john because he like we like a lot of the same stuff matt and i but I'll, I'll always kind of be i'm i've definitely evolved with age but the, i'll the shortest song I'll, yeah the i'll always song. be i'll always be after the Loves fast it. parts and the knucklehead parts so i mean yeah, yeah i mean we got plenty of common ground as yeah. well. and aaron as well he, he listens to some stuff that you probably don't like um captain beyond uh, killing joke as well yeah i like some killing yeah. joke stuff yeah yeah it's, it's a cool band yeah. so it's cool i mean at some point we'll probably meet but uh, for now this is very nice too yes absolutely transatlantic friends that's right transatlantic friends yes yeah. I'll, ha- I'll have to make my way over is, is it buffalo is it, is it any nice to visit as a tourist or is it just going to be social for me social, just social is fine but i need to be ready for what type of experience is a f- long trip right? i mean so i might want to put something else in the itinerary because i do like to travel and see some well niagara right? falls There's is some- by us if you're into big waters <laughs> yeah no i'd be more into Maybe it'd be cool to see deserts. You know, we don't have deserts here. Oh, we're, yeah, there's we're, no we're, deserts close by. No, desert, no, no that's that's but way maybe far. Maybe a com- combined trip of, of sorts. Yeah. But it's, it's quite expensive. Domestic flights are expensive, right? They can yeah. be. Yeah, I yeah. would say if you're going to come to Buffalo, just maybe bring clothes that have elastic waistbands because you're probably going to put on weight. <laughs> 
Nice, nice. Looking forward to it. Now, of course, I have to go at some yeah, point. Yeah, our big thing is basically. Point, I, I see myself as an honorary citizen <laughs> at, this, yes. at this point because I've had the education. I know Cannibal Corpse are in fact from Buffalo, not and not <laughs> and not from Tampa, Florida. Not from Tampa, Florida, yes. and I know Buffalo exists. Yes, I actually didn't know that before. We yes, had. not really, not really. Yes. Cool. So, should we do some type of tag? tag uh, I will say this a, a has been. Uh, thank you very much for joining us for uh, episode one of the artist series. We got more stuff forthcoming, um, similar format. Yes, couple of more booked. And if you're in a band, if you're an artist, you can of course write. Yeah. to us. Far so pod so what at gmail Hit us up on socials on Facebook and, and Twitter, and uh, and yeah, let's uh, let's get back on it. We had kind of a summer off for. Uh, a bunch of uh, bunch of bunch of reasons that just I don't <laughs> we don't have time for right now. But yeah, no, it's not the right moment to do but, that. But yeah, point. but uh, yeah, we're kind of uh, looking to hop back on the horse after some quiet time. So uh, thanks for uh, for riding with us. So I guess as we say in Buffalo. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Everyone that comes on has to do that growl. There's a show in Sweden where everyone has to do a power metal scream at the end. Some stiff guys have denied, but I, I mean, we're not going to allow anyone to deny the, the, the... You have to do the Sia. Gotta do it. Yeah, yeah. If you can't do it as a growl, you can do the... In, anyone should be able to do the inward, right? Yeah. I don't even think I can do that. <laughs> like a, 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 an old door opening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just a creaky sound. Thanks for having me on, dudes. It was fun. Space. So far, 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 so